All right. Hi, I'm Liz. And I'm Marie. And this is Mock It, a podcast sponsored by MetroStar, where we take a deep dive into UX design trends, trending design topics, and chatting with our friends in the field. Let's get started. Awesome. So for today's episode, we're going to be introducing the Digital Services Coalition with Tracy Walker. Hi, Tracy. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today. And if you wouldn't mind, could you take a minute or two to introduce yourself? So um, I am the executive director of the Digital Services Coalition, and I have been doing that for a year now, um, which is exciting. I'm coming, just came up on my year anniversary. Congrats. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, (laughs) Prior to that, I was in the government for 20 years um, as an IT contracting officer. And so I first was with GSA. And then in 2008, I joined the White House and did the IT contracts for the executive office of the president. Um, started at the end of the Bush administration, went through the Obama administration, and when healthcare.gov had its little snafu um, and USDS was created, I was brought on to uh, help create the acquisition team. Because at the time, they looked at the problem and said it wasn't just a problem with tech, it was also a problem with the acquisition. You know, $300 million for a system that doesn't work is not the best look, you know, for the government. So, <laughs> not for anybody. <laughs> yeah. So um, at the time, I had already been doing agile software development contracts um, for WhiteHouse.gov and for some of the other systems internally. So I had already built um, a little bit of the knowledge around what digital services were, how to look and buy cloud, uh, what does open software, open source software look like, and how do I purchase that? Um, so really trying to get ahead of the trend on that. And when the U.S. Digital Service started, I came in and created that procurement team to basically kind of bring those models and things that we saw that were successful at the White House um, and make them possible for the rest of the government. So, And I was there through six years uh, and then joined the uh, Digital Service Coalition. Wow, you've cool. been busy. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so as we get into our podcast today, can you also give us a little bit of background on DSC? Yeah, so the Digital Services Coalition was formed uh, officially in 2019. It started prior to that as kind of a community of practice of companies, small to mid-sized companies who got together, who were kind of frustrated with how acquisitions were always kind of being tailored towards um, the larger uh, industry, the larger businesses, and and as an individual company, you didn't necessarily have your own voice or your own ability to have that big of an influence on how, um, you know, to get work or to show the digital service trends that were happening. A lot of times you were forced into a subcontract relationship where you might be the subject matter expertise on the contract, but you're not going to be the one taking kind of over the control of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where a lot of those frustrations came together. A bunch of companies got together and initially started a Slack channel, um, which they were able to talk about upcoming um, acquisitions, upcoming projects, and team together and figure that out. And so they realized that they needed to formalize that and created a nonprofit trade association, which eventually became the Digital Services Coalition. So um, that's it was originally 16 companies were um, the original co-founders, and now we're up to 28 companies um, in 2022. So awesome. So for for full transparency, MetroStar yep. is a member of the team. Yes, you are. <laughs> and also um, uh, Jason Stoner, who is our uh, director of uh, digital experience strategy, mm-hmm. uh, is a board member. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to lay out the cards for everyone. <laughs> uh, and then um, so for organizations to become part of the DSC, what mm-hmm. characteristics are you looking for for those that can join or how, how does that process work? Um, 
Yeah, so we really look for companies that have instilled their own values within their company um, that really say what kind of work they want, what kind of missions they want to go after, and how they want to be perceived um, as a company that does digital service work. So we really focus on the kinds of companies that are the service providers as opposed to the ones that really are making products, um, digital service products. And that's not to say that a company can't have their own business line that does that product building, but really this is the service um, providers that know how to bring in the technical subject matter expertise like designers and um, you know agile software developers and um, you know DevOps. And so looking at companies that have that kind of mix of skills and understanding of what digital transformation really is, pulling that in from the commercial industry as well, not necessarily being just um, a government only kind of company. It has a has a you know both bonus to what we're looking for in terms of membership, because a lot of the trends and a lot of where technology goes is coming from the external um, to government and not necessarily being created and formed within government. Um, we also look at companies that have, uh, you know, that ability to really have high quality delivery and focus in on that. And that makes them really happy as a co corporation to say, hey, we did this thing. We impacted this user's life. Um, you know, we did this as opposed to some companies who, and there's nothing wrong with this, but just look at contracts as saying like, okay, uh, you know, we want to help with hiring and placing people on contracts. Um, and that's great. You know, we're looking for a long-term engagement. And I think the digital service companies have much more of that. Let's get something done. Let's get it working. Let's move on to the next challenge and the next project. So that culture of delivery kind of over a culture of, of hire and placement. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, uh, so then uh, a question for you about the DSC. Recently, you all have um, finalized the strategic plan. Did you want to give us some details on what that <laughs> looks like? Sure. So um, first of all, when we thought about what kind of a strategic plan we wanted to bring in, um, one of the things with plans is that you want to make sure it's actionable and that it's not something that you've built and then stick in a drawer and never go back to and reference. Um, I think most of the companies, uh, you know, have this pattern and working uh, processes of doing things iteratively. Uh, you test, you figure out how something works, and then you operationalize it. So that's really the basis of what we looked at and how to build the strategic plan was we want something that is going to grow as we grow and not something that is so locked down and structured uh, that we uh, work towards the plan and work to try to, f you know, making that, um, making it the only thing that we're trying to do. In reality, the plan reflects who we are and what we're trying to do as we grow. So uh, that's where we we started with that. We got together with a lot of the DSC companies and people that are involved in this, both from new companies and people who have the historical reference, and really tried to figure out who we were as a group. Um, again, are we you know a trade association that's really looking for just business development opportunities? We realized that wasn't the case for us. Um, you know, so what is it that brings us together? And we really saw that the community and the ability to kind of help each other out and to also help government out understanding digital transformation were some of the key things that we all want to continue to, to try to do and help in. And so really looking and, and saying, how can this group steer government at all levels, not just federal, but state, local, um, you know, and even international into understanding digital service, digital transformation, and what that actually means like to be put into practice. So pulling out the expertise and then showing that, you know, and embodying it by the companies that we have. So that strategic plan reflects that. 
and really goes after a lot of goals that we are looking at to say things like membership, um, how do we kind of look at fundraising? What do we do for our communications? Um, you know, as, as you guys are doing a podcast, do we do a podcast? <laughs> uh, education is a big thing. How can we educate companies who want to come into the government space? There's a lot of opportunity for that with good companies that do great work that just would look at the federal barriers and go, nope, not today, not, <laughs> not, not something I want to look at. But if you had other similar companies saying, this is how we did it and here's your roadmap, um, might be easier to kind of bring in or leverage or mentor those kinds of companies, as well as government. We know that you know there's a lot of skill building that needs to be done in government. There's a lot of understanding what is possible in terms of technology and uh, how to implement it. And I think that you know everyone in the Digital Services Coalition and and also in our um, strategic plan is how do we accelerate that? How do we speed that up? Um, and how do we you know continue to kind of get good work out of all the companies, but also out of government? So it's not just focused on the companies itself, but um, you know, also looking at government and how do we continue to help them change. So that's definitely like one of uh, MetroStar's core values of you know being of service to the government. And so um, speaking towards some of the elements that you just brought up with partnerships and working with the companies that are part of the DSC, what um, uh, what are you looking for? What, what can companies kind of get out of being part of um, the DSC with a partnership and literally building that community? Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk toward that? Talk about that a little bit. <laughs> sure. Uh, one of the things we talk about a little bit internally um, is that we have coopetition, and <laughs> so we are competitors, but also uh, there is cooperation. So um, where you're looking at having the kinds of people, when you have a good conversation with somebody and you're both you know, firing away and you understand what they're talking about and they get what you're trying to go after. And even though you might be competing on the same thing, you both understand that you're at the same level and you have the same like ideas around what that outcome is going to be. So really understanding that like mentality of bringing in like and similar companies that have similar, we already talked about it, but values, um, but operating practices and uh, discussions around, you know, diversity and inclusion and um, methods of hiring. All things are very similar. And so there's a lot of knowledge exchange within the organization. So that's part of the value. I think um, another part of the value of the DSC is also the connections that we do have within government. Um, we do have strong connections with U.S. Digital Service, with uh, Technology Transformation Service over at GSA, um, other groups that are you know, forward uh, thinking in terms of digital transformation. And so having that network as well is very important um, so that you can talk to people in government as well and, and everybody kind of understands the same language. And that's a big uh, big factor when you're looking at how do I do work, how do I get work, and then how do I be successful with the work that we do get in the government. So there's a lot of value add around that. Um, and I think, again, going back to the community piece, uh, how do we encourage the values, you know, internally from a company, but also how do we represent ourselves to other people and giving models for people to, to look at and say, oh, that company's great, or those people are great. Who are they with? And, and then trickling it back to being a part of the Digital Service Coalition and having a, uh, you know, a, a ba uh, you know, not the badge of honor, but just saying, like, I'm proud of the fact that we are part of something that is bigger than our own company and bigger than ourselves. So as we grow, hopefully that's really what people can can get that out of get out of it. Sorry. 
Oh, no, that's awesome. I, I really, I, I like the twin coopetition. <laughs> like, oh, that's, that's awesome. Well, it's better than the term frenemies, uh, which also has been applied, but coopetition is a much more elegant way of saying that. I think, so, <laughs> yeah, rolls off the tongue very nicely. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so as we get a little bit more specific, um, and now that we know have a little bit more background from the DSC, in your words, why do you think it's so important that um, design moves into the government space with modernization? Um, I have a very specific example of this. I, when I worked in uh, one of the, my previous agencies, um, we worked on an ERP implementation back in the 2000s. So um, that's like a massive system uh, change over and, and you bring in a new commercial off-the-shelf solution, COTS product. And uh, out of the box, it had a lot of terms that were very commercial-based and not specific to government. And so things like a purchase order in the commercial space is very specific to, okay, this is in our system, we're having this, and this is what the back-end language mm -hmm. of this is. In government space, a purchase order is a very narrowly defined thing, and it's part of a contract type of series. And, and so um, when we rolled it out to uh, end users within the government, everyone was like, oh, well, this isn't a purchase order. This is a contract. Or I'm trying to do um, a delivery order. Why does it say purchase order? So the fact that they kind of made design choices to put design on the back end and not as the first thing that really was going to be part of the successful uh, implementation of it. It was always one of those like, oh, we'll get to it next in the, um, you know, we need to get our initial operating capabilities out the door and the system running and not worry about the mm -hmm. design piece. It took about three or four months for all of the end users to revolt and say, <laughs> we're not doing this. We don't want, we can't use this. We don't, we, it's, it's too complex. It's too complicated. You have to give me a huge manual. Um, it takes me 15 clicks to do this. And it took me five clicks to do it in my old system. And it wasn't just a matter of upgrading and, and going to new technology. It really was about the fact that it wasn't designed to help them with their business process. So I learned that in the 2000s before um, design and UX and, and all of that really came out as something that you should or be putting the emphasis on. Mm -hmm. And as that has come out now, it's really interesting to see that that is a conversation that starts happening at the beginning of these projects and not something that's tacked on at the end and how do you thoughtfully think about what it is that you are trying to put in front of people as technology and I think also with the wave and how we access everything now through some form of digital service with our smartphones with our computers with our day-to-day -day lives um, that there's a huge you know understanding that that is the new norm and people are going to expect that their technology comes to them in a delivery package that they can understand, that they don't need a manual for, that they don't need special training on, that they don't, um, that they can get intuitively. And there's a lot of things that go in with that, but then you also have to look at how uh, secure does the system have to be? Um, and when security and design uh, questions come up, they usually are very, uh, handled very differently. So design might be like, we have to do it this way, and security is looking at it going like, that's gonna break security. So how do you make something functional as well as secure? And, um, you know, the, the technical answers may not be the best for how somebody's actually going to use it. So a lot of that is kind of bringing that upfront thinking in. And it's more than just, as we always say, you know, more than just making it look pretty. But how is it actually accomplishing the business process? Um, and that's a big part of the design process that is now being brought in. And I think the probably the most key thing about, you know, digital transformation and digital service is 
thinking of it in that holistic way and not just, yeah, I can go build something and put something together and here's your answer. Mm -hmm. But is it actually going to solve the problem that somebody has and do it in a way that makes sense to them? Yeah. (laughs) Words to my ears, right? (laughs) I love them. Um, But yeah, I think you brought up a very interesting point. Um, Liz and I have talked about before, but language matters for the context of your audience, whether you know, it's your team or the end user, um, how they were using the words, because in commercial it meant one thing, but then government was using another. That I mean, you have to dive in and know your users just from that point, mm-hmm. from the beginning, because it can, um, I know sometimes I get thrown because my head is like the design understanding of mm-hmm. language, um, and not all those words mean the same to like PMs or our stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was kind of laughing at you because, or not at you, but like smiling at at, at you um, because when you were talking about language, like mm-hmm. we, we, well, on the projects that we work with, it's definitely like language is a huge thing. It's not just semantics. It's really like, it's very specific that this means this to this group of stakeholders and users. Whereas like to your point, like, you know, in commercial, it can be totally different. And like, you know, you really have to go in knowing your user and, tailoring it to what their expectations are and their mm-hmm. their use of whatever the product or app or whatever it is so it's i was laughing at like <laughs> laughing i was like oh we're using it like, yes, I, like we have had lots of conversations <laughs> um and even other like user interviews who have like brought up how important language is one of the new things that you can see now is that the government uh there is a independent group actually doing a scorecard or a, a report card on playing language usage in the government. And Mm -hmm. so you can find that on like digital gov and see where people have uh, rated what agencies are doing in terms of their plain language. So just even understanding which agencies are further ahead with that, there was a big movement and a big trend to really embrace and take um, plain language into it. And so I think looking at how content designers and, and people are looking at that is a big thing now because there are people watching the government mm-hmm. and rating it on this stuff. So you can see there are several A's and several F's. And so <laughs> like, okay, not a lot in between. So uh, very interesting to see how agencies are adopting that and bringing that in. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. And that's something that we also um, play with a plain language. Some of the stuff can be very technical to, mm-hmm. you know, like you're, you're in your field. So, you know, it like this is called X, Y, Z and like, to a normal person, like you don't understand the acronym, you don't know like the background, you might not understand the, fully what the words mean in the acronym, or like your understanding of the word is different from actually mm-hmm. how it's being used. So we mm-hmm. we go through that a lot with having having to break down like an like an expert's understanding and, and like freeform to you know like a new user and like really bringing them up to speed in like a friendly way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's um. It is a challenge. It's it's a fun challenge, and it's good that uh, it's becoming very accessible for people. So I think that's been like a nice um, sort of we're reaching a lot of people because we're making it accessible. Mm-hmm. So oh, 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 I just said for sure. Um, so I can ask the next yeah. question. Um, so design leadership has been a hot topic, um, and it's been changing in like our organizations about designers having a seat at a, at the table. Um, how can companies embrace design internally and become uh, a design first company? Um, I think, you know, we're seeing a lot more a trend where it starts with leadership in uh, corporations where you have a design lead or a VP of design or um, somebody understanding at that level 
that design is important and needs to be carried out throughout the entire company, but also uh, seeing how it plays within the building and the you know understanding what the tech is going to be done. I think that a lot of times there is still the challenge of when does design need to come in to the conversation? And there are some companies who are design only firms and there are some companies who've blended it all together and say, hey, we want to be everything. So understanding what is your specific kind of design need and what does that look like to pair and do a continuous like build? Because one of the things that both government needs to understand as well as you know the digital transformation look is that software development isn't going to end for whatever the project is that you're working on. Mm -hmm. So if you're like, okay, we need design up front and that's great and you've got something, you know, in there, well, how's it still going to continue to go when you've released something into people's hands? What does that look like? So knowing that there's a place for design, not only at the beginning, but throughout the entire thing and how do you thread that through uh, is a big corporate strategy. I think that uh, companies need to look at and talk about and are having those discussions about as opposed to, oh, yeah, we've got some designers. We're good. Like we've checked the box. Yeah, it's changing now to that is, you know, coming up more and more in terms of, OK, we need discovery. We need we've launched a minimum viable product. We've got something in people's hands. But now what's the strategy to go back and say, how do we change this? Do we continuing do do we continue going on what we thought our backlog was going to be, or do we go look at what people are facing when they're actually using our stuff? And that's a big strategy discussion as well. And when you're looking at how do you uh, build a solicitation around that, how do you build a response from a company, those are going to be the things that uh, separate people. And uh, when you're looking at the solutions that people come out, how do you handle design? How do you bring in user research? Those are things that people want to have a good understanding of. And if you don't know it from your corporate level, how are you going to know it from a working level? And so understanding that that kind of threads through an entire organization is a little bit different than I think, you know, even five or 10 years ago where it always was like, okay, we've got a bunch of, you know, engineers, they should be able to figure out all the problems and, and, and do that. But that's not really where, where the business process design questions or what is people's emotional response to um, a solution is, and they're not necessarily, and it's nothing, no, no, uh, no, no shade on engineers. I'm the <laughs> daughter of an engineer, um, <laughs> but they, but it's they're very problem solving. Like, let's, yeah. I've got a, this is a thing, but let's solve the problem. Um, and we've done, we've done what that looks like, but that doesn't necessarily really give you that whole experience that you're kind of looking for. So, understanding where that comes in is, I think, the trend and where companies are going to have to start on bringing that in to the conversations they have at that strategic level. I feel like I've learned a lot, like working. So um, Maria is a design manager. I feel like one of the things I've really learned from working with you is that, you know, it, it's it's just that point. It's okay to start somewhere, but then like really iterate and like mm -hmm. dig into where people are. And if that changes where people are, you know, we just, you know, go back to the discovery phase and it, it's okay to be sort of like our, our boss calls us gumbies yeah. like you know <laughs> right. and that's like being comfortable in that is something that like you definitely own and have like taught others on the team yeah. to be like that and, like it's okay you know? yeah well i think that's a question you know back to you guys as a digital service you know firm where is it with what you guys do and how do you guys talk about it from that perspective yeah um well we have definitely been able to have both design and development is very early on in the process. Um, we've gone through some growing pains of, you know, trying to figure it out and navigate it. Um, 
where we got design there early because I come from the design background, but then noticing that like, oh, we thought we fixed the problem and like another like peel back the onion of, well, actually it would be beneficial to have our lead developer there too, that even if it's just him taking in the information. So the first time he's getting it is three months ahead of we ever talk about it again. But you know, that translation of knowledge and information um, and understanding of the user's problems is just like more rich in understanding. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and then I think really, like Liz said, um, I've been a really big encourager of, I don't know where we've come out in society or maybe it's like from coming from school, like of I have to have the right best idea as my first idea. Um, and I know in design, they always talk about like, your first idea is never the best, but for some reason when you get into the job, there's like, it's, you're scared of like making the first mark on the paper. So I just, mm -hmm. great, we have a safe space. I just really encourage the team to throw out ideas, you know, throw together mock-ups um, or whatever it might be, just, just to start. Cause I feel like once you like, that whiteboard is not white anymore, it's so much more friendly to um, iterating and getting to those better ideas or just getting you to ask the more thoughtful questions because you're processing while you're doing that. Mm -hmm. so. I think also we've been lucky with um, having a respectful team, like mm -hmm. to, to your safe space. Like you can have like a really rough idea up on the board and you know, it it's okay. You know, we can jump off on of that spot or like we can scratch it all together and it's not like no one is like being a jerk being like, Oh, like we, we can't start there from like, for like a development reason or for a design reason, like we need to maybe take a step back. People are, people want to work towards the goal together. And I think that we've been lucky with, you know, kind of like to like all these uh, from our, our previous podcast that we had, you know, the, the jerkometer, yeah. you know, like people are like, people aren't jerks and it's okay mm -hmm. to have differing opinions and like kind of coming together. Mm -hmm. But I think you really the charge with, you know, that first little ink drop, you know, we can grow from there or we can yeah. erase it and it's totally cool. Yeah. I think that um, leads to one of the big differences around digital service and what has been doing been in the government is that shift from the waterfall mentality to the adult development mentality where um, you had to create the requirements for under waterfall pretty much in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. um, you had to list them all out. You had to think through what are all possible permutations of a system or a solution without actually having real evidence to support what is being said for what a solution has to do. And then you package that up and you say, okay, here's our requirements. Now go build this. And that always ended up in delays and, um, you know, kind of overruns on time because what that vision was in somebody's head and what they put down, first of all, probably that requirements team wasn't even the people who were implementing it. Um, and then the people who are implementing it probably have no ability to really influence what those requirements mm -hmm. are because they're like hard coded in. And when there's failure on that, then it becomes the blame game of, well, did you understand the requirement enough or did you just implement it poorly? And that's very hard to figure out, especially when you're looking at a very large project. So when you're breaking things down to increments and looking at um, the smaller, uh, you know, smaller failures is not a bad failure as opposed to a much big, bigger failure. Yeah. And government does have a challenge with the concept and the idea of what failure looks like. So talking about understanding how does design um, encourage failure up front mm -hmm. and first 
really helps, I think, break down those barriers a little bit because it's talking about failure of the solution to meet the problem, not failure of the contract and not failure of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And if you learn that up front first and you build in that process, um, then even as you go along, those failures don't add up the same way they used to, or people aren't as like, we can, we can decide, we can look at it and say, was this a problem with our design? Or sometimes it is a personnel issue. Maybe somebody just wasn't uh, as skilled or needed to have mm-hmm. some, some more skills to, to raise their level of understanding of how to meet that specific like challenge that they're presented. It's a lot easier to figure that out um, in these projects and stuff now than it used to be, especially with a huge amount of, of work and everything that you have to be like, we have to get this done. And that's usually where design and the outcome and the output always went by the wayside. You're like, the technical requirement has to be done first. And mm-hmm. then whether or not somebody can use it well was always we'll second. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll throw it together. We'll put a mask on it, band-aid, tape, you know, guy yeah. it, and we're good to go. <laughs> okay. So um, I think that's changed a lot for the better. Nice. Well, I, I feel it's kind of like going into more of like narrowing down and we have you for another podcast so i'm going to if, if you're okay with yeah this, for sure i'm going to end um this uh this sort of segment with a question that we are asking everyone for season two and that question is what is the most promising thing you've seen with the progression of design and government i think from the holistic standpoint of if i stand back from where we were Um, When I joined USDS in 2014 and where we are today, the thing that I have been most impressed with probably is the web design standards. Um, The idea that you go to a government website and it looks and has the same feel as every other agency Mm -hmm. is a huge deal for when uh, people interfacing with the government do not understand necessarily that all of these different agencies and all of these different practices are not just one big government. Um, And the web design standards, I think, have come out to kind of say, like, there's a modernized look and feel. There's accessibility that's brought into it. There's ways for agencies to use it where they don't have to, you know, it's made it easy for them to to build and to put things out. And having that is a huge step forward for that consistency that you get across government agencies. So when you go to one site, it looks very similar, and the navigation is similar, and Mm -hmm. the buttons are similar, and the tabs are similar. And when you do that, then people feel more comfortable with, oh, this looks just like what I'm used to seeing. Whereas prior to that, agencies had no real consistency and it was all over. And I might even go within same sub agencies within the same um, agency and and find completely different like web patterns and and Mm -hmm. ways to access information and data. And that became very frustrating for people because um, I think most people just want that easy button now because we're getting it in so much other so many other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're so used to that from our everyday lives that when it now is being, I think that gap has decreased with the uh, um, tolerance that the public or people have with government systems and solutions now with saying tech is there. Why is this not working yet? Mm-hmm. And so I think as those consistent things, that really helps with both lowering costs overall um, on government projects when you can use the same thing again and again and again. Um, and then, you know, hopefully building trust and um, or at least letting people know that that's this is a government website. You are going to see similar things. And hopefully you can navigate to where you are needing to go on that site as opposed to being worried about, like, where's the button that I'm trying to find or something along <laughs> yeah. those lines or or where's the login? Where's this stuff? So that's probably been the biggest, I think, 
thing overall that I've, I'd say probably been the most proud of in the digital transformation world is seeing that and, you know, somewhat being a part of it. But I'm going to give more credit to like the 18F and the USDS designers. <laughs> but from the, from the contracting perspective, we always were like, okay, now to the greatest extent possible, use the web design standards on our contracts. So requiring that as part of the process too was, was a big thing as well. So Nice. Awesome. Well, one last question uh, before we go into part two of this. Mm -hmm. um, where can people find you, find the DSC on social media? So we have a website, the digitalservicescoalition.org. That's all one word, um, Digital Services Coalition. We also have LinkedIn and are on Twitter. Um, so that's pretty much probably our, our main uh, way to get a hold of us. Awesome. Well, I'm going to thank you for joining us for this podcast and introducing the DSC to us. And with that... Uh, this was Mocket. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in learning more about how tech and government collide, visit MetroStar.com and follow us on our socials.